Should we let Joel make an announcement? I guess we will. I apologize for this. I should have told Pete before the service, and I just flat out forgot. Um, we are looking and want you to pray about, if you would please, people who work will work with youth on Sunday evenings um, from 6 to 7 o'clock on a Sunday evening. And we're looking for people who would be willing to do that from ages zero through high school. Um, we are really starting out with an ambitious youth program here, uh, an ambitious youth ministry, and, and we believe we've got, uh, we are, we're being led toward the right material. Um, and, but we see, we just don't know the people to ask yet. And so we're just going to depend on the Holy Spirit. And we want you to pray seriously about what God would have you do and want you to depend on the Holy Spirit also. Don't depend on your qualifications or how you feel about it or anything like that. Just depend upon the leading of the Spirit. Now, if, if you, um, through this service or, or whenever, um, would, would pray about that and want to ask some more information or would be at all interested in that, if you would talk with Becky. Becky, would you please stand up? Talk with Becky afterwards. You notice the dress. You cannot miss that dress. If you would talk to her afterwards and say, you know, I really believe that God is calling. I don't know what he's, you know, exactly what he's calling me to, but I, I felt something tug at my heart, and I'd like to just help out wherever you have need. Please talk with her because this is for the youth. We really, really want to do something with youth and scriptures and, and really love them into the Lord. And we've got to start someplace, so we're starting the whole nine yards, okay? So pray about that during this service. Thanks, Pete. Thanks. Hey, Bob, I'm going to steal your stool, and you remind me to give it back to you, will you? I'm going to sit for part of this um, because that's what Jesus did when he taught. If you read uh, in Matthew 5, 1, you will know that for the Sermon on the Mount, the verse says that he sat down and he taught them. That's what the rabbis would do. And that's when you knew that they were really going to uh, say something real important to you. They would sit down for it. And they would preach from a seated position. So part of this, I, I just want to do that just because it's a conversational type thing. Um, we're having communion this morning. And when we have communion, that's the center of the service. And so this won't be a message that is like the others I have been preaching. It's, it's, it's going to be instead of a one-two, you know, notice this principle, this principle, and print this principle. It's going to be a concentration on Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles open to where we're going to be going today, I want you to know that if this is your first Sunday, basically we've just gone through the first chapter of Peter. We'll complete that today. We'll do the rest throughout the summer. The first message was upon, was on the subject of who Peter was talking to. Who are the elect? The second message was on a word of encouragement because these were persecuted Christians. And he let them know about their heavenly treasure so that they knew what they could hold on to. The third message was how to be ready for anything. Next Sunday, we're going to be talking about principles of excellence. But I want you to see that at the end of this 
first chapter, Peter slows everything down and he says, before I say anything more, I want to remind you of something. I want you to, re to remind you of the central figure, the cause of this letter. I want to remind you how you were redeemed. And he says two things. First of all, you weren't redeemed by money. You were redeemed from, from the feudal ways of your forefathers. Now, let me just share with you what he's saying there. Nobody, nobody can be redeemed by a message from their father and mother. Nobody can be redeemed by a message from their grandparents. The only way people are redeemed is when they make that message their own. And you cannot just assume that what went for your father and mother or what went for your grandparents or the Christians a long time before, they, before you goes for you. You can't listen to people. You've got to listen to the Spirit of God. You know why? Because the message of people has limitations to it. It has limitations as far as how far it can take you. There was a, there was a, a pastor who was preaching in India, true story. And he was telling them all about Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ redeems you from your sin. And there was an Indian Brahmin who had gone to listen to the gospel message. And he felt himself bristle as the man repeatedly talked about Jesus Christ. And finally, in the middle of the message, he stood up. And he says, I, I want you to know that I too have been redeemed. I too have been saved by the religion of my fathers. And the pastor looked at him and calmly said, thank you for that testimony, brother. After the service, we are going to be going down and ministering to the leper colony in town. Perhaps you would like to join us. And there was this long silence. And finally the Brahmin said, I have not been saved that far yet. There is a limitation to the salvation preached to us by our fathers and by our mothers. There is a limitation not only in how far it will take us, there is a limitation in its accuracy always when people hand down a gospel, they put their own stuff in. And I'm going to be preaching a little bit about this next week. But when they put their own stuff in, there is margin for error. Now, that's one reason why we believe in the, in, in the inerrancy of the Bible, because we can't, we can't believe that this is just a, a legend that's been handed down, because that would put, put it prone to human error. Um, and humans do err. No matter, how, no matter how much they believe in what they're saying and they're sincere in what they're saying, there was another true story a Midwestern bishop who was preaching, his name was Wright, who was preaching in the middle of the 1800s. And one day in his preaching, uh, people had been talking about, uh, you know, the, for a long time, since Leonardo da Vinci, people had been talking about um, flying and so on and so forth. And he had gotten in a conversation in that, in that, uh, uh, that very day. And he stood up in that evening's sermon and he said this, Man will never fly. If it were meant for man to fly, God would have given him wings. That sounds like a pretty holy message, doesn't it? But it wasn't, and you know he was wrong. 
And he eventually knew how wrong he was because Bishop Wright had two sons. Would you like to guess their name? Orville and Wilbur? And they had an appointment one day at Kitty Hawk, didn't they? You see, no matter how sincere we are, when you are listening to what your forefathers have had to say to you, there is margin for error. And we've got to realize that. And the more we try to interfere with the gospel message, the more ridiculous we get. When we try to manipulate the spirit, when we try to make um, what we have a, a, a case where God is coming um, through what we can do for people, it gets to the point of being ridiculous and, and ludicrous. There, there was an old guy who told me a story one time, and he told it like it was true. I don't know whether it's true or not, but it's, I really enjoyed it. It was about this minister that had all kinds of, quote, mechanisms by which he could make people pay attention. And he got to be one of the more spectacular, in, the, in not the good sense of that term, one of the more spectacular preachers around. And he was always thinking of how he could get a point across to people. The, old, the prophets used to do that too. The old prophets they used to act out their message so that people would pay attention. Well, this guy was really famous for this. And one, one day on, the, on, on Sunday, on the day of Pentecost, he was really, you know, the Pentecost is, is when the Holy Spirit came down and, and there was the birth of the church. And he was really going to dramatize that. So he went and got... His, the old sexton of the church, the, the janitor used to be called the sexton in this particular denomination. And he said, he explained this old guy, he said, now look, he said, I want you Saturday night to go up and saw a hole in the ceiling of the church. And I want you to take this dove, because the Bible says the Holy Spirit came down, you know, like a dove. And when, I, when you hear me say, Oh, Holy Spirit, come upon us like a dove. I want you to throw that dove through the hole in the ceiling so that people will really, really grab onto that message. So next Saturday, or yeah, next Saturday, he saw the hole in the ceiling. And next Sunday morning, not anybody saw this old sexton carrying up into the attic this dove. The problem was the old sexton didn't see that the church cat was following him up those steps. In the middle of the service, when people were, were, were singing, they thought they heard a little rumble upstairs, but they didn't, they didn't, you know, think anything of it. The preacher got in the middle of his sermon. I mean, this is the climax. And he lifts his eyes toward heaven. He says, Holy Spirit, come upon us like a dove. Nothing happened. And he really got mad at the sexton, determined that moment to fire him but there wasn't anything he could do, so he tried it again. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, come upon us like a dove. Nothing. One more time, and the veins were standing out on his neck. His eyes were bulging out. He was looking right at that hole. And he says, Holy Spirit, come upon us like a dove. That old sexton poked his head through that hole and said, the cat done that, the Holy Spirit. You want me to throw down the cat? <laughs> now, that wouldn't be as funny if it weren't true. See, with all of these man-made manipulations, you know what we've done? We've at the Holy Spirit. 
I mean, it's so far buried in us, we can't even feel the Spirit in man-made worship services anymore. We are not saved by what our fathers have done. They might have been saved by what they have done. But we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Period. And we got to remember that. And that's what Peter is saying in this section. He's saying, I've already got you ready for the future, but I just want you to pause and I want you to remember something. I want you to go back to the principle of the thing. I want you to go back to the very basics. You were not saved by tradition. You were saved by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We are a people who do not remember often enough. Let me tell you a story about an elderly couple who every year took their vacation. This is a true story. Every year took their vacation at a little town called Curtis, Michigan. It was up at the at the uh, Upper Peninsula. There were a pair of lakes there, Big Manistique and Little Manistique. And, and every year they went up there and there was just a row of rustic cabins sitting on the lake. They had indoor plumbing, but that was it. And when we're talking rustic, we're really talking rustic. And every year they'd go up there and every year it was a vacation for Carl because he loved it. He was a veterinarian, he was an old, uh, uh, an old back-to-nature guy, but for Leal, his wife, it wasn't. You know, guys are kind of funny. They always think that vacation in one of those places is a vacation for the wife, too. And he would take a six-pack of beer and a big old package of cigars, and he'd just go out on the lake and watch his beard grow, and he loved it. Leal was, I'll never know how these two got married. She was one of the daintiest, most prim and proper ladies you've ever seen in your life. If she saw the hair on a man's legs, she wanted to faint dead away. She, she wore these long sleeve dresses with the little hanky tucked up in the sleeve, you know those? I'll never know how those two got married. He was rougher than a cob and she was so delicate and so sweet. And every morning when Carl would take off for fishing, Leo would go out and sit in a chair and wait for him to come back. And Elsie, the neighbor, on this particular vacation, would come out and they'd talk about it and they'd talk about how silly men were, you know, they, they, they thought this was really a vacation for women and, and all that kind of stuff. Nothing bitter, nothing to cut their husbands down, just kind of a lighthearted woman-to-woman talk. And Leah would stand there and wait, just wait all day, watch out on the lake. Sometimes she could see him and she'd just look at him. And every day he'd come back and with his big boyish grin on his face and hand her a big mess of fish saying, look what I caught. And she would take those fish in that dress and she'd take them back to a fish house. Now I don't know whether, how many of you have ever been into a fish house, but old time fish houses were just a round gazebo type thing with screens, but you, ought not, you, know, you might as well not have had the screens because they had holes in the screen, and the holes were such that the flies could get in but never get out. And so what you had was a gazebo with a million flies trying to get out with a counter in front of you and a round hole in the counter and a bucket down underneath, and that's where you'd clean fish. And 
you'd cut the head off and put all the entrails in and so on and so forth. And you can imagine late in the afternoon on a 90 degree day about how that smelled. And Leo would take those fish back there and every day she'd clean those fish for that man. And one day, Elsie came out and she sat down in the chair beside Leo and they started talking again. She looked at Leo and she said, you know, I just got to ask you something. And she wasn't, she wasn't being um, um, nosy. She said, I, I want to ask you something. She said, I've known you long enough to know that you hate everything your husband does when he's up here. He goes out and he uh, drinks beer and it makes his breath, breath smell bad. He smokes those stupid cigars and that makes his breath smell bad. He comes back and he smells bad and he gives you these fish and you take them into this dirty fish house and by the time you come out, you smell bad. And I want to know why. And Leo just rock on her chair and keep looking for a man. One day she came out and she said, I got a bargain for you. Let's go uptown and let's go shopping while he's out there. And let's go buy a dress. And let's get all fixed up. And let's get all done up. And let's be clean for the first time in two weeks. And Leo just shook her head and said, nope, I'm staying right here. Elsie said, why? And Leo looked at her and sensing her sincerity, answered her sincerely. She said, when I was 16 years old, I wasn't much to look at. And then she kind of laughed and she said, that's putting it mildly. But there was an 18-year-old boy named Carl who made me feel like I was the queen of the world. He'd open the doors for me. He'd carry my books. He'd ask a question and he'd listen to me like my answers were important. We were so in love. And we got married, and it was good. And I got pregnant, and I had an awful rough pregnancy. And right up at the end of that pregnancy, I lost that baby. And Carl was in absolute tears. He wasn't crying for himself. He wasn't crying for the baby. He was crying for me. And he took me in his arms, and he said, Don't worry, there'll be others. And she said, and then we went through the Depression. And that poor man worked two and three jobs just to get something on the table. He was so poor. We were so poor. And every day after the third job, he'd come back and he'd say, how was your day? And he'd listen to me again, dog tired as he was. And she said, I remember one time in the Depression that after I got done sewing up that day the 16th hole in his best pair of pants and putting another piece of cardboard in his shoes that had a hole about like that, he called me to the door and he had brought home a brand new washing machine that he had saved a year and a half for. And with his big stupid grin on his face, he said, how do you like it? And then I watched my grandmother turn to Elsie and say, I guess I'd rather clean fish for that man. 
in the dirtiest, stinkiest fish house in Michigan than have tea with the Queen of England. She got called back to the basics. She remembered. When we remember things about our faith, we've got to remember better. We've got to get back to the basics. So many of the problems that we think we have in life is because we don't remember very well. Our kids irritate us. And we get awful frustrated. But you know why we get frustrated? It's because we can't remember those nights that they were sick. And we'd get down on our knees and we'd pray, God, I'll do anything, just make them well. We don't remember very well. Sometimes men's eyes wonder to other women because their bodies might look a little nicer or their faces don't have quite so many wrinkles in them. But you know why that happens? Because temporarily they can't remember how those bodies got out of shape burying those children. They can't remember that those young things that they're looking at never once got a wrinkle because they were worried about their husbands or saying a prayer for you. See, they didn't give anything up for you. We don't remember that. And sometimes women get frustrated because their men don't pay attention to what's at home. And that's valid and that's okay, but their memories aren't very long. They forget how hard he's working to put something on the table. And they forget, you know, something about men. Most men, the only competence they feel is in the work. They come home to problems they can't solve and they feel inadequate. And so they tune out. But we forget. We forget what they've done for us in the past. We get frustrated with the leadership of the church. And we say, if I were the leadership of the church, I'd decide this and I'd decide that. And you know what? You might have a point. But you forget how many hours of their lives those leaders have tr traded so that we could worship God on Sunday morning. We forget. We don't remember very well. And when we fuss at God, and we say, God, I've done this and I've done that. I've really, really tried you owe me. The only reason we say that is because we've forgotten that he's all paid up. We're redeemed by his blood. This morning, we're just going to remember. And you remember, if the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can redeem you now, it's also the only thing that can carry you on to your destination. Father, be with us now as we leave. Bind us closer together than we have been and help us to remember that you are bound closer to us than we can imagine. In Jesus' name, amen.